What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. Asian bitches done under a podcast about sharing information and perspectives from the Asian diasporas in society and culture. We encourage you to subscribe to our show via Apple, Google, or Spotify. If you have enjoyed our episodes, please support us by giving us a five-star rating and get your friends on board to listen to us. Finally, we would love you to support this podcast by donating to our Buy Me a Coffee program. Your wonderful support and donations will help us to continue creating the platform for diversity and inclusivity. Make sure you check out the episode show notes for any collaborations we're working with to promote. Thanks again, and we hope you will enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, just a heads up of trigger and content warning. Abortion and medical procedures will be discussed in this episode, so please seek professional assistance if you're feeling overwhelmed, upset, or needed someone to speak to. Hey y'all, this is Jessie too. Hi, this is Helen. And we are Asian Bitches Down Under. Helen, it's July 1st. Oh yeah. Which means We're halfway it's through the, the year. second half of the year. How <laughs> exciting. <laughs> I'm kind of like so over people every at the uh, at the first six months of every year, uh-huh. like at every stage at every month. There are people like, can't believe it's April already. I can't believe it's May already. I can't believe it's July. <laughs> Just like shut up. I don't care. Halfway through okay. the year, everyone knows that as an adult, like life, like time, literally speeds by in an exorbitant kind of speed. Just speed as yeah, you get like, older. <laughs> I know exactly. Come on, guys. Just like. Yes, get get over the fact that you're so busy. Hmm. I, I can't stand people who talk about how busy they are. It's like there's nothing more unattractive to me than someone who um, talks about how busy they are. Mm-hmm. It's just so, like, there's a, that is, like, um, the opposite of catnip for me. It's okay. like if you don't, if you want to um, make, if you don't want to talk to me, just, like, mention how busy you are and, and I will just run a thousand off. miles away. <laughs> It is just such a flex. And it's like, whatever, you know. I roll my eyes when everyone, anyone says they're busy. But anyway, um, last night I went to um, the opening of Michelle Law's new play yes. at the STC. Tell us about it. Um, Top Coat. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know this going in, but um, it's basically a body swap. Oh, so, Freaky um, Friday you know, situation. Yeah, so Freaky Friday. So instead of mother and daughter or like um, it's a boy-girl thing, which is a movie from 2006, which mm. I really liked. Um, where a girl swaps bodies with a guy. This one, Top Coat by Michelle Law, basically swaps body between an Asian woman and a white woman. Oh, Which, you know, it's so... I know, the premise is absolutely great. Very interesting. Okay. It is. It's so interesting. Um, She basically pits um, an Asian nail salon worker against a a top kind of executive TV. Uh TV, yeah, corporate woman, basically. Yes. And um, it was really enjoyable. Like, I have a lot to say about it. And I do have a review coming out in Limelight, um, mm-hmm. which I'll look forward to writing. But just like, I guess, uh, I only saw it last night, so I'm still kind of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was really, really enjoyable. Like, um, I found the only kind of thing I'd say about it that I didn't enjoy was probably the fact that um, some of the dialogue um, was a bit too didactic, like very kind of hand-fisted, teaching white people what it's like to be inside a non-white body. Uh, yeah, a lot of some of the, it's not, there's yeah, no it was too, It was like teaching. It was like um, some some of the dialogue felt like I was being addressed by um, some sort of like um, 
diversity inclusion uh, seminar workshop uh, uh, I see. person, lecturer, yeah. like at a high school. Like some parts of it really uh-huh. did feel like that. Yep. But, you know, generally overall, I really enjoyed it. Uh, Michelle was sitting like two rows behind me mm-hmm. um, while I was writing my notes. So I made sure to like kind of like, you know, not look like too obvious because <laughs> I've never reviewed theatre before. So it was very exciting Oh, for me. okay. Um, but we went to the after party afterwards and it was so good, Helen. It was just so great because... I went with my great friend, um, Linda, who works at a production company. So she knew a lot of people. Like, our film and theatre industry here in Sydney is tiny. You know, everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. So we ended up, like, spending hours and hours after the play um, just chatting to amazing Asian uh, creatives. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, this is so um, uplifting. It felt very life-affirming to, you know, know that there are extraordinary people out there um, doing extraordinary things. So, like, I totally recommend you go see Top Coat at STC. It's really, really um, enjoyable and very entertaining. That's wonderful. Good to hear. Yeah. So what about, um, do you want me to go go into my own cultural consumption first or do you want to continue? Yeah, yeah, let's. No, no, no. Um, I've got two other things I want to recommend, so you go ahead. Okay, so my cultural consumption this week, I've had such a big week and I've been watching a lot of films because um, Taiwan Film Festival is coming up. So I was just going through a couple of the ones that it will be screening this year. And apart from that, I've started to listen to Dr. Yumiko Kadota's Emotional Female, um, the e-book. Uh, not the ebook, the audio book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jess, you've read it a little while ago. Yeah, I had to review it for SMH. Yeah, I think it's very, it's very, very engaging compared to the other books that I've tried to listen on audio books. Mm. I couldn't get mm. through other audio books, the novels, but because I guess because this is a biography, so you're listening from the first person point of perspective. And also, I do feel that the frequency of uh, Dr. Yumiko's language expression is very close to mine. So therefore, I I found it really smooth to listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed listening to it while I was walking my dogs and doing like autopilot chores. Yeah, yeah. And it's... I didn't think that I will finish it so quickly. I only got two hours left. I only started last weekend. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm so shocked with the medical industry and the oh. abuse of the young doctors that they were receiving. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's really it is disgusting. It's so repulsive. It makes me, I, I just like, I want, when I read her book, mm. I'm just like, I thought that sort of like law, like the legal sector or the finance sector was, was the most disgusting. bad enough. <laughs> yeah, but like actually the medical sector is pretty just, bad as well. Everywhere. Yes. Everywhere. Yeah. There's no safe There's place, no safe place for, for women. Asian women <laughs> yeah, to, right. to, to work. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly fucking yeah. right. It's terrible, but exactly. go on. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So the amount of sexism and racism she faced as an Asian woman, and also because she was, uh, she specialised in surgeon area. So, mm. again, it's very male and white dominated. Yeah, and absolutely. And again, on top of that, plastic surgeon is, uh, from what she described, I feel like there's a certain eugenic kind of procedure when mm. they are selecting you know the the surgeons to be on a certain group into a certain mm. group you know who are being accepted and who are not being accepted are very clear like even oh, yeah, in absolutely. one occasion she was mentioning that she was going to one of this plastic surgeon club in sydney and yeah. another male surgeon was joking saying that oh you have to be blonde 
to be accepted into this club, yeah. you know. Yeah. So there's certainly very, a very racist and sexist type of favorism in the selection process. Yeah, I know, yeah. and and I have to say, Helen, when I read her book, mm. when the part went at, towards the end, when she kind of was like, uh, the book kind of talks about her going through some sort of test. Like at the end, she mm. had to go through to be accredited, and yes. then in the end, she she thought about like giving up, and then I think she ended up like not actually pursuing what she wanted to do mm. like because she just like decided it's too hard i was just like i was really really like you know, i was very sympathetic to her um mm-hmm. it, it just feels like such a monumental climb up the ladder and mm. it feels so absolutely thankless it feels absolutely thankless mm-hmm. the job you know yeah. and i just didn't i could not understand i mean obviously she I understand deep down why, because, you know, people have people like her have extraordinary resilience and, uh, you know, an extraordinary big heart. Mm-hmm. But, like, I yeah. myself personally was reading it thinking, why, how on earth, like, I, w- I could never in a million years desire what she desires. I just thought, like, when I read it, I was just like, this sounds like hell, basically. And like, I was like, why would you do that? But, I mean, obviously I'm questioning myself. I question myself saying, why would you do that? But I do know why, because she has an extraordinary humanity, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, I was just like, this sounds like the most atrocious it's terrible. Um, environment to work yes, in. Yes, it's very it toxic. It sounds absolutely thankless. Mm-hmm. I, I remember talking about that book on the pod. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it just like all of that, now that you're reading it, is bringing, bringing back memories. But, yeah, it's just, yeah. I'm really glad it was written. It's a great book. Everyone should read it. Absolutely, so highly I, recommend. Yeah. yeah, I've got like a couple of chapters left. I'm thinking to recommend it to my son to read it. Oh, I got awesome. to listen yeah. to it after you know after I finished it as well because I know how much that he likes to read biography, and oh, does he? he okay. has been thinking to go into medicine okay. for a while. And I was, okay. I've always known that the pressure of becoming you know working in medical industry, mm. but reading i mean listening to this book it just makes me just made me really realize that how much more difficulties i never thought about it you know, yeah because exactly. you're, you're seeing it from the perspective of a person who experienced it all herself yeah yeah exactly um whenever i think about doctors or the medical industry i think about the way in which um i feel as though in the field of medicine there are people don't get me wrong, you know, doctors, they're important, da-da-da-da-da, you know, you don't need me to say it, everyone knows that. Um, but I'm also quite wary of the individuals who go into medicine for... What are intentions? Um, kind of nefarious reasons. like, yeah. and, and nefarious reasons I feel like they don't really confront, like, in the same way that some men and women go into the legal sector um, for power mm-hmm. like um oh, for the yeah, sa- status yeah, yeah. for the power for like same as um, being become a politician this, as well yeah yeah it's like um the sense of upward mobility mm-hmm. there is direction i guess there is like summit that you can actually um climb mm-hmm. you know and and uh, i'm wary of people who do it for those reasons and i, I definitely know so many people who i guess like part of them is like yeah i'm, I'm a doctor i'm doing this for good reason uh, again, I'm not like bagging them out, uh, so I'm trying to be careful with the way I frame this. I just I've, uh, I'm always wary of the positions in society where um, 
the structural sort of infrastructure in the way that professions, certain professions are upheld mm-hmm. um, without question. Um, say, like, you know, a surgeon or a barrister, you know, someone with a lot of social professional cachet. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just automatically given so much cachet or kudos. I don't know what the word I'm looking for here, but I think you know what I mean. Um, whereas, like, for teachers, it's so different. Like, teachers work just as hard, and yet, like, they don't have that assumed um, universal respect, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that, um, you know, a surgeon or a barrister gets. And also, for like, if you want to be a good teacher, often the best teachers are the ones who are not in any kind of leadership roles. Like, they don't want yeah, any kind of um, managerial power. Like, um, yeah. I- I've been in to enough schools. Like, I've taught in 13, 14 schools in my lifetime. And you always meet the same kind of people who are, like, heads of departments or deputy principals or the head of curriculum coordinator. All those people are, like, becoming more b- bureaucratic, I feel. Mm. And, and often the best teachers are not in those positions. The best teachers are the ones who don't have any ambition to manage other people. They just want to just do their job be, and teach. Yeah, they just want to be good teachers. Yes. They just want to help young people strive to be their best. And, like, that doesn't come with any kind of status or uh, upward mobility mm-hmm. uh, trajectory. Like, um, or proper rewards. A te- a good te- <laughs> yeah, like a good teacher. <laughs> like, say if yeah. you work, like, 80 hours a week as a doctor, like, you at least have... For, for those people in their, you know, junior years, they, they have, like, in 10 years' time, they can be earning, like, half a million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, if um, they but, move like, on to the right te- direction. Yeah, but with a teacher, like, what, what, what kind of... What direction like, they, can they get? Yeah, they, yeah. They, they, they will always probably stay on similar salary, you know, for yeah. the next 10 years. So it's just like um, when people... And it kind of goes back to my um, first rant at the start of this podcast about people being busy. I just, I, I, I don't buy it. Anyone who says they're busy, I'm just like, or too busy to see friends or too busy to see family. I'm like, good for you, but um, uh, you're not someone I want to talk to. Mm. I think power and status does affect how a person will reflect on their personality outwards, externally. Mm. Yeah, mm. And it will change how people's attitude as well. That's why I, I agree with you. People in leadership positions, you really have to take more scrutiny about them and see how they're treating people. Yeah. Like, I don't really s- decide how I'm going to treat a person because that person is a per- uh, like a surgeon or a doctor. I, I mm. decide how to treat that person as in how that person treated me. Yeah, of You course. know, it's a two-way thing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I might get a lot more politeness from say like a blue collar labor than a doctor you know oftentimes yeah. when a person who's been in their position in in their own profession for example say like lawyers or doctors i get that kind of treatment very frequently i think i've encountered what treatment what are you talking well, about i've encountered like um lawyers and also doctors in the past that just because of their own position of their chosen occupation yeah they don't talk to you in a very polite way right yeah i i don't know if our listeners get this but i've had experience of um seeing gps that mostly white and older gps they feel like oh you're wasting my time that you're just telling me that you've got a minor pain that I don't really need to 
take too much time to look into it and they spend five minutes of consultation and they brush you off. Right. Yeah. I mean, Hannah Gatsby and also, you know, Caroline Peretz has mentioned in Invisible Woman that women mm. are often being dismissed of the issues that we raised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's it's depressing. We yeah. always end up talking about depressing things. But, you know, on to a on not, not depressing thing, um, you know, my favourite thing in the world is rom-coms. <laughs> Like, yes. I will not pass a good rom-com um, on any night. And um, Netflix dropped one a few weeks ago, or maybe even a week ago, called yeah, it's very Love l- and Gelato, very new. which, you know, I think a lot of people are talking about because it's just the most basic white woman um, <laughs> sort of... How do I put this? Okay, so basically it's based on a book, okay, and it's a series of books written by this New York Times best-selling... I mean, that, that statement, New York Times best-selling, to me... Doesn't was, mean anything. ...has absolutely no meaning whatsoever yeah. for me. But she also wrote books like called Love and Olives, which is a so. But Love and Gelato, obviously, you can guess from like, <laughs> it's about Italian. a woman who, yeah, who goes to Italy and falls in like and tries to find herself coming of age story. But really, it's just like about getting together with guys. That's really what romance is, right? At the end of the day, romance is sex, at least for hetero people. And then she wrote or wrote other books like Love and Olive. Do you want to <laughs> okay. do you want to guess where that's based, Helen? Mediterranean, Greece. Yes. <laughs> And it's like the same story, but in Greece. Oh my and God. then she's also got love and luck. You want to guess where that's? What China? Based? No, no. Luck. Um, I island. Oh. Island. The clove. The oh, four yeah. leaf clove. Okay. Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. But um, I kind of like. She's got to learn right about like love and dumpling and love and sushi. <laughs> <laughs> love and sushi. Oh my God! Yeah. Can and you imagine? Like, Can she appropriate all the? Cultures. Yeah, if you were, how about how about one of those great Netflix films where an American executive woman comes to Australia and falls in love with a um, jackaroo, something shit like that oh, would be. I'm pretty love sure and, there's already something yeah, like that. There's, yeah, there's literally ten of those. Um, love and fish and chips. <laughs> what's, what's love and meat pie. Love yeah, exactly. And love and meat pie. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Love and basic white people. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, well, actually, basic white people, that, that kind of um, position is already taken by the lead character. Mm-hmm. So this one, Love and Gelato, I started watching it because I just thought it'll be like a, a hate watch, like one of those stupid things. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I have to say, in the first half hour, it is quite insufferable. Oh, because, because um, it, it kind of meets every single possible trope that there is. So, the typical you know, she's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's like the nerdy girl who's basically like absolutely gorgeous, but just wearing glasses. Oh my which god! Is, uh-huh. uh, like so overdone. And then her best friend is a very vivacious black woman uh, who just has like typical. ten, just like basically ten billion ounces of more personality, love of life, everything, everything about her friend Addie, played by the black woman, is way better and more fun than the main character, mm. whose name I've already forgotten. Um, because she's that boring um but she goes to basically she's her mum's just died and so she goes to rome because before her mum died her mum told her you have to go to rome before you start university and she's gotten into mit um so you're the movie's already setting up premises that the the girl is coming from a very super privileged rich oh yeah totally Yeah. yeah yeah and we never yeah and we never hear about any other family members in america it's just like her mum's died, now she's going off to, to Rome. It's so stupid because, like, she's 
walking around Rome with an MIT sweatshirt, oh which is just like the most American thing ever. Yes. Can I just say, just like talk about like announcing your freaking like colonial imperialist status <laughs> and historical violence and genocide against every country. Anyway. Um, so stupid. So she's walking around, and the, literally the five within five minutes, she's approached by this hot Italian dude. Mm-hmm. And then that night, she is invited to a party that he's throwing or something, and um, and she meets another guy. But he, you know how every rom com is like hits two girl, two guys, two against guys each against, other. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's always like the brooding hot dude versus the less attractive but sweet, male. sympathetic, yeah, charming guy. So this charming guy is um. Also Italian, obviously, <laughs> and um, he is like uh, a chef or a budding chef. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I have to say I'm very disappointed that both male leads were not cool. Like when I want oh, what a do rom-com. you mean disappointed? I'm always supposed yeah, to come support. No, no, no. I want the mo- when I look at rom coms, I want the most superficial shit in the world, and okay. I'm disappointed to say they were not cool. And I, I'm, you know, um, when I watch rom coms, I want to luxuriate in the most superficial. What you want to see Chris Hemsworth? No, Something I hate like Chris that. Hemsworth. I couldn't even finish Spider Bait. Spider Bait? Is that Spider... Is that Spider thing? The the new Netflix Spider Bait? No, you know I the new I Spider... Know that one. Oh, okay. It's a, a, well, have you not been on Netflix? It's literally trending all the time. It's like a new movie with Paul, uh, Miles Teller and Chris Hemsworth based on George okay. Saunders' short story. Spider Bait, I think it's called, or Spider Something. Oh, right. And um, I couldn't even finish it because I just cannot stand Chris Hemsworth's face. He's so just—he's he's so <laughs> repulsive looking. Like he, ugh, I hate Chris Hemsworth. Um, I just find him really, really um, not charismatic at all. He's just so bland. Anyway, um, so um, disappointed that these guys were not tall. But anyway, they were charming. Um, she basically, um, you know, has to choose between these two guys. Um, but there's a scene in the movie, a couple of scenes where she's mm. eating this like cream bun. It's called like Matarossi or something. Matarossi. <laughs> Is that why? And they're basically one? a cream buns. Yeah, and I the next day I literally Googled tracked down to buy the cream, cream bun. buns in Sydney, and I drove all the way to Rushcutters Bay just for these cream buns. And like I even told the dude that dude, I was like, I watched Your Love and Gelato, and I wanted the cream buns. Why I love these rom-coms, Helen, is because, like, I can't afford to go over... Like, I'm not saying I'm poor. Obviously, I can if I wanted to, but I'd you probably, like, empty my now. whole bank account. Yeah. yeah. But I can't afford to go to Europe. Mm-hmm. And so, like, um, all these kind of, like, uh, sort of destination rom-coms, there's so many on Netflix, and I've written an article about it in SMH. They, they, they make me, like, vicariously travel. You know? Yes, they do. Like they, you you go to another country, yeah, you get to see that. hot men. It's so beautiful. <laughs> like, it's like the best of everything. And, like, when she kind of hangs out with the cute beta male chef guy for one day, he makes this, like, pistachio gelato. Uh-huh. And she says she has, like, a um, gelato orgasm because it's so good. <laughs> uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, it's just, like, the food is so beautiful, the scenery is so beautiful, and it just makes me feel good, you know, despite the fact that she's the most irritating white Ever. she's just so irri- she's probably the most irritating female lead in a long time and yet i still enjoy them <laughs> but most of this destinational rom-cons has to set in europe yes doesn't yes. it why is yeah. it, why is it always oh because, because the americans everyone, have a fascination yeah fascination and and the, yeah, it's like right. romance and Ugh. um and like um all the characters in the film are so freaking um, one-dimensional and, like, really just 
Well, because the scripts are written by... Yeah, Americans. Yeah, yeah. Americans, like yeah. she she goes to stay with like her uh, mother's uh, old best friend, who's like this very Ital like generically superficially painted, like vivacious Italian woman, kind of like um you know under the Tuscan sun, which is also one of my favorite films. Um, you know when Diane Lane um, befriends this like older woman who's like blonde and like. Very, very sexual. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Very sexual. You've seen, yeah. Yeah, you've seen that movie, right? Long like time ago. I can't, I can't yeah. remember much I f- of it. I freaking love Under the Tuscan Sun. And so does every other middle-class white American woman. Mm-hmm. Because, like, we all have dreams of um, going, like, divorcing It's almost from like an escaping like, from, your, yeah. from your life and then you're going somewhere very different. Yeah. And, then you- and then, like, rebuilding your life. Yeah. And, like, who doesn't want to um, build a house in Tuscany? <laughs> And fall in love with Italian men, you know? Yeah, I you love, have a I couple just, million dollars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I just love the idea of romance and these rom-coms, as problematic as they are, are so freaking comforting, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, it's it's just so good. Yeah, how about you? Um, What about Netflix consumption? Have um, you seen anything Netflix, that's been great? Netflix consumption. I do want to mention a movie that I watched over the weekend by myself, but... I actually want to save it for our collaboration with the podcast later this year. Um, It's called Love and Leash. So Mm -hmm. one sentence, and that's all I'm going to say. It's very Mm -hmm. provocative, very alluring rom-con surrounding the ideas about BDSM. Okay. Bondage, discipline, and SM. So it's a very interesting exploration. Okay. What country is that from? It's a Korean movie. Oh, nice. It's a okay. Korean drama. Yeah, it's a Korean, sorry, Korean movie. Yeah, so if you haven't seen it, um, I recommend that one. It's, I think I, I, we, we will, pro- it, there will be a lot of discussion. Yeah. Okay. When we do the collaboration with the podcast later this year. Okay, um, cool. However, uh, on a slightly uh, more PG. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, mode. I didn't have this on our notes because I've just watched this yesterday with my daughter. I highly recommend if anyone hasn't got Disney Plus or if you do, go and watch Baymax on Disney Plus. Um, so Baymax, do you remember the 2014 animation Big Hero Six? Oh yeah, I freaking lost it. Like like a. Oh, I was, did you? I, I lost it so much. I, I was like. It was like I was at, at a end. funeral. I was crying so much. Yeah, because they it's humanized so they humanized the robots so it's much. It's so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Yeah. So I think that's. I a, think there's a new one coming out, right? Um, I don't know there's if there's a new one coming I think out. There's a but sequel coming out. They have yeah. a short, uh, like a six episode series on Disney Plus at the moment. Okay. So each okay. episode is about seven to ten minutes. Oh, cool. Uh, it's super sweet and very gentle about, you know, the medical robot Baymax interaction with every, everyday people. There is an episode about a girl getting her first period. Mm, and love that. there's an episode that. includes same-sex romance. It's absolutely mm-hmm. heartwarming. Uh, I always love uh, animation that includes kind of a little bit queer, but also talks about, also looks into topics that really hasn't really presented in kids' animation before. Yeah. Like, yeah, for example, yeah. you know, you have a girls having a period, you know, what happens, yeah. and yeah. it's really, really sweet. Um, 
on top of that, I want to recommend Shira and Kipo for our listeners who hasn't seen much of the animation. They're mostly、mm-hmm. slightly quirky, but they're all about girls' friendship, very non-conformative to the mainstream expectations.、Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like there should be more animations about girls' friendship and queerness、yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, and girl sexuality. Exactly. Yeah, yeah.、So、I love that.、That's、Shira、so nice. and Kipo. Yeah. Great, great recommendations. Well,、um, I have one book recommendation, and I haven't been reading as much lately because I've been writing. But、um, I want to give a shout out to an old classic.、Um, it's a Pulitzer Prize-winning、uh, collection of short stories by Jhumpa Lahiri.、Um, it's called the、um, Interpreter of Maladies,、mm-hmm. Maladies, and、um, especially the, th- the last short story.、Um, it's called the Third and Final Continent, and it's about、uh, a Man who goes to India in the fifties and、um, starts his life there, and it's like I was sobbing by the end of it. It was so beautifully written. Like she, she's really famous、um, for writing now in Italian. She's an American Bengali. I think she's. In, I'm not actually sure of her background, but、um, she's a brown woman.、Um, so she in, must、I、be think, like multilingual. Yeah, yeah. yeah、um, so she's like I.、Um, she studied in America. And then, like in her twenties or thirties, she started writing in Italian.、Ooh. I think she. Be- I think she was a translator first, and then、mm-hmm. she started writing Italian. And she's just like, I mean, any any kind of. She's like the exact opposite of、um, Love and Gelato. If we were <laughs> going to qualify qualify the kind of、um, literary status or cultural status,、um, this is like high end art. This is just、mm-hmm. like pure beautiful. Yeah. This is Kady Kitamura shit. It's really good. This is like.、Um, This is like、oh, what's like a really quality filmmaker. I was gonna say like Martin Scorsese or something, but, but like, no, I don't know. I, no, 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 I, no, 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 no. I, I don't know. Like I, I would like to read. I guess this is like Sofia Coppola. No, I don't know. Is she like? I feel like she's <sighs> no. I think she's very Every- one dimension as well. If yeah, you watch yeah, enough yeah, of、exactly. her movies, yeah.、Um, I can't find a, a directorial de-、uh, equivalent, but basically, like yeah, Jumbaluri is like high quality, very, very literary. So. That's、Amazing my book、um, okay. recommendation for this week.、It、sounds interesting. I will probably read it as well. I have, I have、yeah. a copy.、Okay. I actually picked it up、um, about a week ago outside a house. Oh really?、Um, so is that、yeah, a curbside、um, pickup? Yeah, because、um, <laughs> there was this amazing house that like set out a table at the, out, outside the house,、uh-huh. and they literally just like free、um, for good homes. Yeah, free books. Yeah,、uh, yeah, yeah. That's it was so cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a break now, and when we come back, we will dive into our topic this week, which is rather concerning, unfortunately. But we'll be talking about Roe v. Wade and the abortions in Asia. Yeah, we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. So this week, obviously, that we are shocked. I don't know if I'm shocked, but. I think Ugh, we, we've seen it coming,、terrible. yeah. You yeah. know, with the overturn of Roe v. Wade in U.S. Now,、uh, many states in the U.S. are starting to criminalize abortions,、mm. and which will probably most likely to lead to a lot of illegal abortions that you know, woman has been doing for the past decades. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Seeing a yeah, a lot of women will be going interstate. A lot of women will be trying to buy drugs from other states and countries.、Um, 
pill-induced abortions. Um, just yeah, it's it's quite uh, horrifying this this week mm-hmm. for a lot of us women. Yeah. So do you, do you know like with experience of abortion? Do you know any stories yourself or your friends? Oh. No, I can't say I do. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm. I, I am quite like. I mean, yeah, I I can't say I do. Okay, so for myself, I had. Mm. A, I, I don't think that I've shared this on the podcast before, but I did have a near abortion once when I, oh, I didn't was this. pregnant with my first child. Okay. Yeah, because uh, for some reason, one of the nurse didn't read the the record properly and she yeah. called us well she called me very early in the morning saying that um oh there's something wrong with your pregnancy you know with this mm-hmm. record that i'm reading now um mm. i can't remember what exactly that she said but she was saying that oh there's could be some genetic defect with right. your uh child or with the fetus yeah. uh, i think yeah. it was only like 20 weeks it was still before 24 weeks and she said that can you come in to the hospital this morning and then you can consult with our obstetrician to see what you can Jesus do Christ that's if you insane want to terminate she I did remember she, actually she said, said that? terminate yeah she did terminate Jesus. his pregnancy so I was really shocked and very upset uh, mm-hmm. because it was a planned pregnancy and you know yeah. I don't want to terminate her but if yeah this is a genetic defect, then we have to decide what we can do. Yeah. And then uh, my hu- my husband then came home from his night shift that day, and visibly we were both extremely upset. I couldn't even now. I don't know if I can go through and talk about this. Yeah. But it yeah. was really horrifying to go to the hospital, and then waiting for another like half an hour for the consultant. Uh, obstetrician to come out and talk to us and then he said to us he looked at the record and he said that oh i think the nurse read it wrong it was the most horrifying two hours i had like oh thinking God. that i don't know if i'm gonna terminate like yeah. what we're gonna do and this is what i'm saying like is also very important of what we're doing today to talk about the choices that people can have yeah you know? so yeah. sometimes it's not it's not a choice as well. Like, if you want to pursue this pregnancy, what will happen in your later life if you have mm. a child with disability? Um, I'm not saying that they will be less loved, but I'm just saying that how much changes will be for an adult, for their parents. Yeah. Mm. So, of course, both Jess and I were pro-choice. and. Yeah. Today, I, you know, we want to open up the discussion about um, abortions and also abortions in Asia. So I want to start off with statistics um, in Asia. So there's roughly 36%, uh, 36 per thousand for married women and 24 per a thousand for unmarried women in Asia, the regional abortion rates. So as you can see, it is higher for married women because oftentimes uh, people choose to have abortion is because there are so many reasons. You know, Mm. for married women, it could be that they're not planned to have kids yet or they decided not to have kids in their life or they have enough kids 
Mm. Yeah, from the stories I've heard, uh, very often from the married women's are the ones that they already had like three or four children already. Yeah, yeah, but it also well, like it's a fact. Yeah, it's, it's a, a fact. fact yeah. That- that most abortions are from married or like um, women who are already, but basically mothers who do not have the capacity, um, emotional, psychological, financial, exactly. um, economical um, capacity to raise another kid. And so to, to have another child would diminish the quality of life for their existing kids. That's, that is that's a fact. really true. Yeah, that's a fact. But it also angers me as in why aren't those, like, the male partner in the relationship just get a vasectomy but yeah, at the same yeah. time i can understand that even if you have vasectomy there's always a, always, always a chance of falling pregnant it's mm. not 100 percent safe you know right, any right. contraceptions are not 100 percent. yeah yeah, you know? yeah and uh, abortion is not permitted for any reasons in these three asian countries iraq laos and the philippines mm. 17 out of 50 countries and territories in asia allow abortions without restriction as to the reason, um, the unsafe abortions, it is about 4.6 million women in the region are treated for unsafe abortion um, complications each year. That's a huge number, 4.6 million. You know, uh, mm. if you're not legalized and women cannot seek for safe abortions, they do it themselves, um, which will result more medical burden, you know, for the, mm. for the country. So uh, the first country I want to talk about is uh, China. Abortion in China is usually legal and generally accessible. Regulations vary depending on the rules and the provinces or the city. Some provinces are prohibiting non-medical abortions after 14 weeks of pregnancy during the second trimester. And in 2021, China's state council, as well as a non-governmental organization responsible for family planning, announced policy guideline with the goal to reduce non-medically necessary abortions. So I think abortion in China is... I think uh, abortions in every country are very complicated. You know, there's a lot of reasons behind it and also there's cultural influence as well. As in for China, there's the one-child policy that we know from mm-hmm. the late 70s mm-hmm. to the 80s. So it was very strictly controlled, the birth control in China. And, of course, you know, uh, what we've seen in the last few years that there's a strict birth control in Xinjiang, the Uruguay, yeah. and the other minority, uh, minority ethnicities. Abortion in Taiwan, apparently with a doctor's prescription, you can get RU486 and other medical procedures are legal up to 24 weeks of the fetus. Uh, if it's 40, more than 24 weeks, um, if the fetus has been detected with a genetic defect, that request abortion can be considered. However, this is a bit different compared to Western countries and a lot of Asian countries. When they say they're legal in Asia, for example, in Japan and Taiwan, married women require a consent from their partner. Oh, God. Yeah. I've, I so it's not, it's not really oh, fully legal. Oh. There's no woman's rights there. You can't really exactly. choose unless that yeah. your husband said you can have it. You can oh. have the abortion, you know. And underage, um, which is under 20-year-old in Taiwan, requires a consent by the guardian. Uh, however, if a female adult, they are not in a wedlock, they can just 
do the abortion. They can mm. yeah go go through the abortion process yeah without anyone's consent. Yeah. Um, abortion in Japan is very similar as well. They allow a term of twenty two weeks endangerment of the health of the pregnant woman or economic hardship. Uh, in South Korea, was decriminalized effectively in twenty twenty one. Uh, by the order of the Constitutional Court of Korea, the abortion law was not strongly enforced, especially during the campaign of the to lower South Korea's high fertility rate in the seventies and the nineties. However, in during the two thousands, when the fertility rate has dropped, the government and the anti-abortion campaign turned their attention to illegal abortion, and the government stepped up to enforce the abortion law in response. Korea still have a lot, really relatively large demographic of conservative Christian groups that continue to oppose to oppose abortion rights. Mm. Malaysia is illegal. Uh, in Vietnam, however, it is it, the abortion is legal. Interestingly, that uh, Vietnam is the third highest abortion has the third highest abortion rates uh, in the world. Uh, mm. There is a limited information on the legal status of induced abortion in Vietnam. The information suggests that abortion was available on request from at least 1971 and was available in the entire country since 1975 unification. Due to its emphasis on family planning, abortion in Vietnam has legalized without any restrictions on the reason for seeking the abortion. Family planning was made a national priority upon the unification of Vietnam, leading to the incentivization of contraceptions and abortion acceptance. Vietnam is uh, also a bit tricky to talk about because yeah. there is a high rate of genetic defect compared to a- other Asian countries right. due to the US. Agent Orange? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And also HIV positive women, you know, they yeah, will have because, HIV. Yeah, because of all the um, soldiers US, who went yeah, and raped. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's a colonial and power shit yeah, again. Yeah. 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 Abortion in Singapore is legal. It was legalized in 1969, being the one of the first countries in the Asia to do so. It is available. Wow. On request for Singaporean citizens, permanent residents, individuals with an issue, student or work visa, and also, interestingly, um, foreigners as well could obtain mm. uh, abortion in Singapore if their lives are in danger. Yeah. Abortion in Thailand has been legaled up to 12 weeks of pregnancy since February 2021, yeah, after the ruling of Constitutional Court, which declared a portion of abortion status unconstitutional. Parliament removed first-term abortion from the criminal court. Uh, India has been legal under various circumstances for the past 50 years, uh, and whereas in Indonesia, it is abortion is illegal unless, unless rape of woman of woman or the woman's lives are at the risk. Mm. There is still a very heavy stigma about abortion and pregnancy without wedlock. Uh, it's still very detrimental to the woman. Where I read in Nikkei Asia, the website, there's a story about a cop which who forced abortion upon his girlfriend who later kind of pressured her to take her own life because she couldn't go through with it. Jeez. Yeah. Also, again, in Nikkei Asia, this is the main thing that I want to talk about. In Asia, 
um, abortion is seldom as black and white as pro-life versus pro-choice. You know, yeah. the argument that dominates most of the time in the Western discourse doesn't really come into effect in Asian countries. Most countries have recently liberalized abortion laws, um, but for some formerly liberal countries such as China have begun to examine restricting, restricting abortion in its response to demographic pressure. Abortion in Asia presents a contradiction. On the article, it says that thousands of women die everywhere, every year due to illegal and unsafe abortion, a compelling case for more liberal abortion laws. However, every year in countries where abortion is legalized, such as India and Vietnam, thousands of female fetuses are aborted in pursuit of a male child. So there is uh, still a very conservative culture yeah. perceptions about having a daughter or a son. Yeah. yeah, and also the stigma of the unmarried woman being pregnant. Yeah, you know, yeah. like they yeah. don't. If the social expectation is that if you're unmarried, you shouldn't have a kid. Mm. What if the woman wants to have the kid, but they've been mm. pressured to go through the abortion? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I yeah, that's a really great wrap up, Helen, of um, the sort of uh, abortion rights across Asia extremely extremely complex mm. um like you said so kind of n- not non-binary you know it's it's not one or the other it's all every country there's like different conditions and at every stage in a woman's life it's complicated and um yeah, every context. very very true um i want to bring it closer to home and just run through the different um rights throughout the states in mm-hmm. australia so in victoria abortion is accessible up to 24 weeks of gestation um, after which two doctors will have to approve it. In New South Wales, um, abortion can be performed up to 22 weeks of gestation, after which, the same thing, two doctors have to pr- approve the procedure. Mm-hmm. In the ACT, there are no restrictions in place around how late abortion can be accessed. Um, wow. That's according to Women's Agenda, so I'm not sure. I better, I should like, check that. Um, in the Northern Territory, al- abortion is legal up to 14 weeks and then up to, then up to 23 weeks with the approval of two doctors. In Queensland, abortion can be performed up to 22 weeks. Again, two doctors must approve of it. Um, in South Australia, abortion can be performed up to 23 weeks with the approval of two doctors. In Tasmania, uh, abortion is accessible up to only 16 weeks. Yeah, Tasmania, and, uh, no, no surprise. Yeah. But, but, but Western Australia is actually the most um, conservative state. So that abortion is still regulated by the criminal code. So oh it's my still, God. yeah, Very and scary. it's only permitted with the approval of two doctors up to twenty up to twenty weeks of pregnancy. So after twenty weeks, access to abortion is very restricted. Sure. So um, I guess yeah. Um, this week we've been every country I guess has been really looking, trying to look at their own abortion uh, rights, mm-hmm. the legal frameworks around them, because what of what's happening in America, it's really quite frightening so um we're really we're really looking forward to um seeing what the next year or so um and and you know a lot of the uh there are several protests going to take place this weekend mm-hmm. around australia um so let's let's hope that you know um we can continue to fight for this very basic human right yeah basic human um, healthcare as well for women yeah, exactly yeah. because essentially it feels like it's moving backwards you know you're, they're taking away the 
woman's right of choose not to have a choose or not to choose have an abortion. Yeah. What that? What are they going to do next? That's the scary yeah, exactly. part that I'm. Yeah. You know, I'm afraid of. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and all these things have been. This this decision has been years coming. Yes. Incremental with yes. The, the Trump and then his instigation of these uh, a series of conservative judges in the Supreme Court. Court. It's um very terrifying, and you know a lot of people who have been following this for years they saw it coming. It's not a shock to them, um, but it still feels like. I think Rebecca Traister spoke about it this week on Long Form. She said it was like um, almost like grieving, you know, like you, you grieving for a death of an old person who you, you know that they're going to die. You know, mm-hmm. it's a slow, painful death, and yet still when that death occurs, it still hits you so hard. Yeah, that emotional impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> Any final words, Helen? I don't know. It just feels like it's coming out from it feels like it's a visceral yeah uh, frightening scenario seeing what's happening in the US and we all know how much the US has impact for the rest of the world being the so called you know world leader bullshit yeah mm-hmm. but it is scary and I do hope that other western countries don't follow the suit of you yeah. know taking a step back into such a conservative yeah situation yeah okay. um well I, before we end this episode i just want to say to helen thank you for sharing your story i <sighs> have never heard of that before and it's like very um it's it's making someone out there one less lonely person having heard that story yes yeah and of so course we want everyone to take care of themselves Okay, so that's the end of our episode. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google and Apple and give us a five-star rating. If you'd like to support what we do here at Asian Beaches Down Under, head to our Buy Me Coffee page to make a donation for us to continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So that's it from us this week and we'll speak to you next time. Take care. Bye.